for over 2,500 years, the family was understood by simply using the word family. It was accepted, it was listened to, it was respected. I would say until about 2015, that is when the change began to take place as concerning the definition of the family. Now, the reason I am speaking of this this morning is because the next section in uh, Colossians 3 is dealing with the family, the individuals. And we need to understand, first of all, the, the makeup, the, 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 how the, 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 the family is defined in Scripture before we can go to the individual parts and then deal with it. And so that is why we are looking at this this morning. In 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States gave a blow that came like a tsunami across this country that the family was to be understood not in a biblical way, but in a contemporary way. And since that time until now, there are all kinds of absolute nonsensical definitions that have come to define the family that it defies reason. For example, some parts of the southern United States, children are not allowed to call their parents mom and dad, father or mother. They, they, they are to be addressed as persons. And I always ask myself, who, who's number one and who's number two? Or is this past week again, I heard it on the radio again, where in Australia, and that's where a lot of the changes are coming from these days, <laughs> they're trying to, tr to train babies to give their parents consent to change their diapers. Those are only a couple of the nonsensical things that are coming as a result of the change that has been made on what the family is. And so this morning I want to begin with, with something that you may know, but something that you need to once again grasp and to, 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 to not only embrace but to express with confidence as well as with humility. And that I begin with the origin of the family. Where does the idea of the family get its beginning? Is the family something we look back in history and in time and we say, yes, it started this time of the existence BC or this time AD? Or it started in, 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 in Palestine? Or it started, where does the idea of the family come from? Why is it that we feel that in the contemporary scene, it is possible to undo something that has stood for centuries, that has never brought anything but good for those who have embraced that? Let's look at the text from Genesis chapter 1 that was read. 
And I want to suggest to you, first of all, that the idea and the origin of the family comes from the mind of God. It comes from the mind of God. Look at our text. I don't know what the scene must have been like. But God is preparing to unfold his creative power in bringing into existence something that never existed before. And at a certain point in the communication of the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, in the communication, we read these words in Genesis chapter 1, the first couple of words from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and or then God said... God said. God did not make a suggestion. God did not ask for consultation. The word said, the Hebrew word there, is to declare, to declare, to determine something. It is, it is, it is to hear someone speaking as though the thing had already happened. That is why when you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, many have said it's a contradiction. It is not. Chapter 1 gives you the conclusion of what God was going to do. Chapter 2 gives the detail of how he did it. So the family in chapter 1 is not yet. God is saying this is what's going to happen. So he gave this expression as his own determinant will. It is, it is not an expression. It is not a calculation. It is not that God came after consultation. He came to that. In speaking to members of the Godhead, and we don't know how this happened, friends, except it is declared in Scripture, God simply said it. And when God says something, nothing can keep it from happening. He doesn't speak with the hope that this will happen. He doesn't speak with the idea hoping that those who hear it will accept it. He speaks because it is his own authority to speak. It is his own mind he is unveiling. And he speaks, my friends, that when he speaks, what he speaks cannot fail but happen. So God said, here, the mind of God is being unfurled for you and me to enter into the origin of the family. What did God say? Let us make man. Now, it's interesting because there are two words, well, perhaps more than two, but two main words that we use for man. Man the individual and man the mankind. And they're both used in this text. What he created here was a man, an individual. His name is Adam. And when he was finished creating Adam, he made all the, the, the situations prepared for Adam's entrance into, into time, as it were. And God had looked at his creation, and again and again and again, he said, it is good, 
it is good, it is good. But there was something in God's wisdom that he withheld until a certain point in the process of time. I don't know how long it took Adam, whether Adam was going to bed at night thinking, I sure would like to have someone to warm me up. We're not told. All we are told is this. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. That, that, that word for good, my friend, is, is not simply talking about something that's good or bad. It is not proper. It doesn't fit. God made Adam with the consciousness that he needed someone else to fulfill his life. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, obviously he was not alone because God was there. But what we have here, he said, God said, I will make someone that is suitable for him, that will meet him in the nature and character of a human being. A helpmeet, he's called. And you know the story. You know the story. God put Adam to sleep. I, I like to tell people, I was 31 years old when I got married. And all during that time, every time I met one of my relatives, Winston, when are you going to get married? And I used to say to them, I'm like Adam, I'm still sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for God to open my eyes to see. And he did. But here was Adam. Adam had never seen anything like this before. Adam didn't know what a woman was. But he just knew that there was something that made him incomplete. No animals could do it. And so in the mind of God, what God did, he made a woman. Uh, someone said, isn't it amazing? God fashioned the woman, but he simply created the man. <laughs> like he just put them together. But when he's making the woman, the word is a very interesting word. It is like, a, like, like someone in architecture who, who knows what they want and they go through all the process by which that thing will come and when God remember God was the first one that saw Eve and when God saw Eve it could be said in human terms just as I planned and then when Adam saw Eve he couldn't help himself <laughs> literally literally the Hebrew is that's it that is it. What I have been missing, there she is. My friends, you don't know, you don't know what that means. Because we live in a country where, where we have our parents with us, where we have our brothers and sisters with us. But, but what we have here is God doing something 
to prepare the rest of the universe to unfold into a family. He fashioned a woman. Only a being like a woman could fulfill or complete the whole divine mind concerning the makeup of a family. Please remember that God is still talking within the confines of the Godhead and it has not yet happened. God is unfolding. God is speaking, if you please, to the Godhead. But there's something I saw in this text this past week that I never noticed before. Not only do we have the divine mind as the origin for the family, we have the divine model. Look at what the text says. In our likeness. This is not talking about men and women in the Godhead. What it is talking about, my friends, the likeness is the likeness of a sacred relationship interchanged between individuals. And the family is going to interchange relationally as the father relates to the son and the son. The likeness there is not that we become God, but we begin to have our lives orchestrated as it is in the Godhead. The father relates to the son, and the son relates to the spirit. In the Trinity, we have unity, community, we have category, father, son, spirit. In the family, you have husband, wife, father, and, and, and mother, and children, the categories. Everything that is, that is exercised within that relationship will be worked out. So a family is not simply a mother, and a father, and children. A family is the mother and the father and the children becoming conscious that they exist to reflect what takes place in the Godhead. So we are more than just getting married, having children. We are doing something that God wants the very angels to know that can take place only within the family. And the father, the mother, the offspring, they have the Godhead for the model. So, how did God organize this? I've alluded to it already. Genesis 1.27. What is essential for a family? What is essential for a family? A man and a woman. That's the family essential. I, I think... One, one person put it, puts it this way. Insightfully remarked, if God had supremely intended solitary life, God would have created human beings one by one. If God had intended a polygamous life, God would have created one man and several women. If God had intended homosexual life, God would have made two men or two women. But that God intended a monogamous heterosexual life was shown by God's creation 
of one man and one woman. That's not, that's not my idea. That's not the church's idea. To organize, to bring the family into existence, God created a man and a woman. I, I am doing some marriage premarital counseling with a couple of couples right now. And, and part of my, my instruction to them is, is how God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. And uh, a week ago, I, 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 I took the young couple and I put them beside a wall and I thought, they thought I must be getting out of my mind or something. So I, I, I asked the gentleman to put his head against the wall and to pull a chair up and then to pull back from the wall. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Then I called a woman and I did the same thing. And she leaned over, pulled the chair up and stood up. And he said, that's, that's crazy. Try it sometime. Why? Because when God structured the woman, he made the woman in such a way that her lower body will have what a man's lower body does not. The man's strength is in the upper body. The woman is in the lower body so she could give birth. God organized the family in such a way that not the man would give birth, but the woman would give birth. Psalm 139 says that even in that whole beautiful relationship, it is the mystery of God's creative power allowing a man and a woman. And by the way, uh, I tell them, I don't say man and wife. <laughs> I say husband and wife. Because why would, you, why would you identify the man in his gender and the woman in her role? God made them male and female, husband and wife, not man and wife. That's free. <laughs> this design, my friends, this design is being violated today. We heard it just now. This design is under attack. And Satan's greatest passion is to have the family structure redesigned, redefined, so that what God intended for righteous seeds to populate the earth will not take place because he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want that to happen. And so in, in, in organizing the family, please remember what God has designed, let not man redesign. A man and a woman, God's design from before there was time. But quickly, look at the esteeming of the family. The esteeming of the family. By that I mean giving, making the family seen as something that has eternal values because of its origin. In the 19th chapter of the book of Matthew, 
the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus went to Jesus and asked, is it right for a man or is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Any reason at all. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus said to them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. A wedding is where the daughter removes herself from the authority of her parents to the authority of a new home under her husband. I'm not talking about boss here now. I'm talking about order. God created Adam, and then he created Eve. There was a reason for that. Not that Adam becomes a bully. Not that he becomes a tyrant. Not that he becomes a king. He becomes the servant of God to lead his home under the authority of God. We shall see in a few minutes. But look at what Jesus did. Jesus did not answer the question for contemporary content. If he had answered and said this, he would be criticized here. If he had answered and said that, he would be criticized there. So he answered, he took the whole, the, the whole structure of a home back to the beginning. To the beginning. Because it is in the beginning we see the whole design. What was needed. How it was done. Why it was done. And so when Jesus answered that question, and when Jesus attended the marriage feast at the, the wedding at Cana, he was doing something, my friends, that was validating what God had revealed back in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. The family, its origin. Jesus gave the fundamental answer to the question even though it was not fundamentally asked. It was, as, um, there's a fellow by the name of um, Abdul Murray, becoming quite popular with Rabbi Zacharias right now. And, and I was listening to a lecture he was giving at the University of Michigan just a few weeks ago. And he, he said something that I'd never thought about. I may have um, heard it, but never thought about it. And he said this, in our contemporary society, we are more impressed with the questions we ask than the answer that can be given. We ask questions to see if the questions, if the answer will be what I think. We do not ask questions to learn. We ask questions to see if we can agree with it or not because it is not truth that we are interested in. It is our permission to do with the truth what we want. That's where we are. That's where we are. Thirdly, the order of the family. The order. There are two things that we have in Genesis chapter 1 that Jesus uh, that uh, Moses gave to us, that God gave to Moses, the joy of reproduction. The joy of reproduction. Look at what, what, and the Lord blessed them. 
My friends, what that word literally means is that God conveyed on them the energy by which they will be able to do what was required for a family, and that is to reproduce. And, and you know, I don't have much to say about this except this. For me, I think I told the class this, and every time I think of it, it hits me with a new sense of, 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 of joy, but a joy that is reverent. I remember when my son was being born, being in that room, watching my wife going through all the emotions of giving birth. And I, I, I will never forget seeing my son coming into time and space. Something happened to me in watching the whole process that life has never been the same for me in thinking of how sacred life is. I say I don't talk about that much because I, I, I don't, I'm not a creature of the feelings. But my friends, this is one of them. The joy. I remember, I remember when Heather was born, the first of our two children, and, and I had not seen a birth take place before, and I never did at that time anyway, because in that day they used to kick the men out of the room. You have no, you have, you've done enough damage. Get out of the way, you know. <laughs> and when, when Lois was going through the birth pains, we were kicked out. And I like to tell people I was studying Egyptian history at the time. So every time I was kicked out, I was looking more into Egyptian history and, and keeping my mind occupied. And after I, was, after I was brought back in, after the birth, and I don't even know if Lois remembers this, I said to her, I don't want to put you through this again. And she looked at me, said, never say that. Never say that. Why? Because there is a joy in reproduction that only the one who gives birth knows its joy. That's what, that's what we have here. God bless them. He said, this is going to be a period of, of, of celebration. So Boaz took Ruth. She became Boaz's wife. And he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Celebration. Celebration. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I used to live in Western Canada before we moved to Toronto. 
And, and when we found out that Lois was pregnant with Christopher, I called the Canadian family I lived with in, in Alberta, and I said, Lois is pregnant, and I don't know how. <laughs> and, and he said, Winston, if you don't know by now, you're really in trouble. <laughs> but, but we did not expect it, friends. We did not expect it. But I'm going to tell you, when that boy was born, everyone was celebrating with us. I mean, the celebration was the same as, as we have in Luke 1.58. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and brought forth her son. And the neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his greatness and mercy. And they were rejoicing with her. Oh man, I tell you, when, when our boy was born, I was on the phone. It's a good thing it was cheaper that day, in that day. I'll tell you, I wasn't going to take a phone into the delivery room. That I can let you know that now. But I was calling Medford, where my wife's parents lived. I was calling my sisters, my mother in Chicago. Calling my Canadian family in Western Canada. I mean, joy! Oh, my friends, perhaps it has not been the best experience for you, but the intention of God is that reproduction should be a time of rejoicing. Oh, when you, when you, when you, when you see them, you know, I was talking to my boy last week was the last of their, the inn in, in Seattle where he's working with a University Presbyterian Church there. And he said, Dad, I was bringing the last message to the, to the group. I had just returned from uh, Malibu in British Columbia where they were working with Young Life, doing some stuff. And I knew I had to speak, but I was so tired. He, he called just before. He said, Dad, please pray for me, you and Mom, because I'm sitting down here and the text is just staring at me and I'm staring at the text. And, and so we, of course, we were praying. And, and last Wednesday, Last Wednesday night, a week ago, Wednesday, as I was leaving after the meeting, he texted me and he said, Dad, this, the Lord really blessed. There were four baptisms tonight. I had to run back to John. I said, John, I just got this from Christopher. What a joy it was to hear my son talking about baptizing people. My friends, there's joy in reproduction. And, and I don't know why God has been so gracious to Lois and me. And, and there are others as well. You know, I, I, if I don't get too sentimental, this to see Kim up there today, how her parents must feel. Joy. Joy. But there's a joy in relationship. Not only in reproduction. And I'll talk more about this later on. Psalm 128. That's the psalm I pray for my children almost every day. This is a family psalm. The psalm teaches the interrelatedness of blessings in the home. In the home. And I'm just going to state these three things that are needed for a joyful relationship in the home. And talk about them more at, at, at length later on. One, 
the first thing that is needed for joy in relationship in, in the home is the transcendence, the transcendence of God. Verse 1 begins, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And again, I said I will, will, will bring that later on. God's rule, God's rule. Number two, hierarchy. Oh my. God's order. God's order. My friends, if we refuse the order of God, we will order chaos for ourselves. God rules, governs the relationship so that that relationship is not seen as slave and masters, not in the home. It is not seen as boss and workers. It is seen as partnership in which God's order brings beauty and blessing and joy to those involved. Three, ethics. The rule that governs the relationship. What we do, Ephesians chapter 5. How we do it, why we do it, when we do it. In Psalm 128, verse 3, God said it will be well within your house. What a joy, my friends, when the family, I used to see the sign when I used to travel in the U.S. several years ago as a student, the family that prays together stays together. I used to see that all along. When was the last time anyone saw that? That's the text. The Christian family exists, please listen, the Christian family exists to bring glory and honor to God in the home, and then into the community. And my friends, when that happens, our world will be a better place than it is right now. We have lost that ability to communicate not only privately, but publicly, and I trust that God will use this word to give us a sense to return to the sacredness of the family and the purpose for which God created it. Let's pray. Father, there are people today who are behaving as though God doesn't matter, but may we not be among them. I pray that within the next moment, that for those who are not married, who do not have a family, that they will commit those who do have so that we do not treat one another as superior or inferior, but that they will trust God to fulfill their lives according to his will. For husbands and wives that heard the message this morning, May there be a renewing of their covenant with each other and for their family. And may the devil be made to flee because we have taken God seriously about his order in the family. Grant that our homes will become stronger places 
a haven for our children, a refuge for husbands, a place of joy for the wife. Even for the wives that are working, Lord, when they come home, that they can, they can put aside the outside world and enjoy what God has designed for them to enjoy in the inside. So, Father, may the families of Sodaville Church thrive because of the pleasures of God upon it, the blessings of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.